Welcome to the EV Ready Podcast, featuring industry leaders and their perspectives on electrification, hosted by EV Ready Energy. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Nyan with EV Ready uh, for our next iteration of the EV Ready Podcast. And I am grateful to have Tom Bennett, the president of Lane Valente Industries, join us today. Thanks, Chris. And, and you know, just a background for everybody, you know, trying to pull from from folks in the industry that I know are experts that understand what's going on, what the most critical challenges are. And probably, Tom, <laughs> you probably know more about some of the, the challenges that exist out there better than anybody, just kind of given uh, your history and what you've been doing. Um, so w- would you mind kicking it off, just telling us a little bit about Lane Valente? Sure. We're a licensed electrical contractor, um, 20, 27 years um, in, in the industry, and, and um, we're licensed in 43 states. Um, we operate in all 50, but we're licensed electrically in, in 43 states, and we've been involved in the EV infrastructure space since 2010. Our very first installation um, was a Gen 1 charger. Um, so we can, can you define what that means? Absolutely. So... Um, basically, that was a 110 um, charger that's, that uh, gives you the same amount of power as, as a wall outlet in your home. And so um, we, um, that was the, the very first generation of charging, and it's evolved a lot since then. Um, you know, there's chargers out there now um, for certain vehicles and certainly for buses that are 350 kW. And that, that first charger was was less than 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 three kW. Have you ever charged on one of those before? And yeah, yes, I have. <laughs> um, and it's and it's it, it, it at best, um, it gives my vehicle, which is a Tesla, about one to two miles of range per hour. Yeah. So put that in and you know in context. When I'm talking to people about EV charging, I I tend not to even mention that if they're coming from the gas world because I know what that will do. That's <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So sorry. Continue on about uh, LBI. So we're we're involved in basically every every vertical that's out there, whether it's um, public infrastructure, fleets, retail, multifamily, commercial, industrial, workplace. We touch them all. Government. Um, we we're we're right now doing a one of the federal post offices in, in Chicago, one of the largest ones in the nation. Um, and 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 then everything down to a multifamily unit that's getting one level two charger and a level two charger um, is you know the the one that gives you overnight charging gives you 12 to 20 miles of range per hour um, but it's going to you're going to come home from work you're going to plug that vehicle in you get up in the morning you've got that 200 to 300 miles of range that that uh, that your vehicle has the capacity to take so um, and then, and then everything up to a 350 kW that can charge a municipal bus, um, a city bus like the MTA in New York, and and can charge that bus and give it 300 miles of range, in in less than 27 minutes. And this is probably a difficult question to answer, but how many chargers has LVI installed over the past 13 years? Our IT guys tried to 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 total everything out between level two and level three. It's 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 roughly about. 37,000 charging ports. 37,000. <laughs> so as a listener, you know, you think about how many ports actually exist out there. LVI is responsible for a really good chunk of them. 
That's awesome. Um, and and, and then I think the other interesting thing is you're you're working with so many different companies, and probably Tom Bennett knows more about everybody than anybody else in the EV charging industry is is what I would imagine at this point in time. It's just you know again we we um we we realize there's still so much to learn and 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 so many best practices to share um, that um, the opportunities um, need to be explored so that. The logistics can work out long term. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, you know, sometimes people will ask me about about EV Ready. They'll say like, "What is your ideal customer? Who are you trying to work with?" And 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 obviously, like, we feel like we can help so many different types of customers. But there are certain elements of electrification that are critical to customers that you know sometimes is your wheelhouse. So, can you tell us a little bit about your wheelhouse? You know, what customers do you feel like you benefit the most, and and how do you do it? It's it's a fair question, but one that's that's tough to answer, and here's why: um, we we do really really well with multi-level sites. So we've got a, a a fleet customer that has 300 locations across the country, um, and 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 we need to to come out with a uniform approach so that we've got the same plan and the same process at a fleet operations center in New Jersey that you have in, in, in Northern California. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're not putting charges up against the wall where the, the this fleet vehicle is, is driven in, has to back out and pull away. Um, you don't see that with gas stations. You see gas stations and fueling stations, even in fleet facilities, where you drive up and you fuel that, that combustion engine van, truck, whatever it is, fleet vehicle, and the, the vehicle moves forward. And it's got to be the same process with, with, with electric vehicle charging. Yeah. And so, you know, it's so you look at that and you say, okay, you know, we're going to make an impact there. And because of the fact that it's going to be a uniform approach and because of the fact that we're touching all of them, we, we know that there's one throat to choke and mine is very thin. Um, and so it's very easy for the customer to wrap their hands around my throat because at the end of the day, they're, they're, we, we take it from literally from concept to completion. And so, but by the same token, then that ideal customer is also someone, you know, a, a, a REIT, that real estate investment trust that maybe has 3,000 multifamily units across the country. But the value that we provide to them is we're going to value engineer every one of those sites because there's no, no two of the same. And so we've got to make sure that we're setting those chargers, you know, as close to the electrical infrastructure as possible, but we're also future-proofing so that, you know, if that tenant is going to be home for the night, they don't need to get a full 12 kW, 20 miles of range per hour if they're going to be there for the next eight to 10 hours, right? So we can yep. share that. And so it's, it's utilizing that, the technologies that are out there today that can daisy chain chargers and you're getting more bang for the buck per vehicle than you would if you were just bagging that one charging port with the, the, the max capacity. And not just that, like if you have your software configuration uh, situated, if you understand how the utility works and then you're getting the right charger for the right use case, that's when magic happens. And I'm sure you're dealing with that all the time. Absolutely. So, so let me like two couple different scenarios. You know, you mentioned you get with a with a fleet uh, that is just electrifying. You know, they haven't purchased their vehicles yet. They haven't purchased their chargers yet. That's kind of the best case scenario for us. 
because we can come in and, and and provide the guidance to make sure that you know you're future proof, that you're getting the right chargers, that you're providing the right experience, that you're hitting your uptime, all those different things. What do you do when you go to a large fleet and they already have 250 chargers installed? Do you try and build a plan for what they've already done? Do you scrap that? No, what they already have. Like, what's been your experience there? You've really got to look at the you you've got to look at the as is and the too big. Um, and so what is it you're charging now? What is the, what is the vehicle acceptance rate of the vehicles that you're charging now? And the two B is what are you bringing in? What's coming in and what's the vehicle acceptance rate on, on those vehicles, right? So we can make, we're making sure that we've got the right charger for, for the, the, the future vehicles. And in some instances we are scrapping things because of the fact that the chargers that were installed were dummy chargers, meaning they're non-network chargers. So there's no signal sent to anyone when that car or, or fleet vehicle is fully charged. None. So you're depending on the human brain to remember to go over and and and, ch- and they're, they're manually checking on these. Those types of chargers are, you know, th- there's no value to that type of uh, in, inside of any best practice. Yeah. Commercially. Yep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, like we've talked about before, like if it's tied to an existing building load, you know, how does that impact the operational costs, all those different things? But hey, my next question for you is this, as a guy who's probably dealt with utilities more than anybody, the grid, we always hear questions about the grid. Is the grid going to be able to support electrification? What's been your your experience on that, boots on the ground? And what's your like longer term take on that? The uh Utilities are, are are very concerned. We we have over a hundred applications in right now for um, just just in the automotive sector alone for um, dealerships that are waiting for new service drops to meet the requirements for the, the the vehicles that will be coming to that to that dealership. And so the biggest challenge that that that's out there is obviously how do you work the logistics? And and I think that the utilities that have a the proper plan in place, meaning they're separately metering the charging stations. They're giving a new a new service, but it's it's a dedicated service, and they're requiring that site host to sign up and say that this will be dedicated for EV charging. Not going to tie lighting to this. We're not going to tie, tie HVAC load to this. It's going to be just EV charging, and so that the grid then making ensuring that they have the ability through the network smart chargers to dial those things down during peak demand times. That's absolutely critical um, because then, just like they do now, they can manage the load. Um, and, and, and that's you know that, that's an absolute necessity moving forward for, for fleets and, and for any large operator, even workplace. Then can you tell, um, can you talk about the worst case scenarios you've seen where customers' core business affected by EV charging, they need to get the vehicles, they need to get the charging stations, and when they went to go apply for that new service, they couldn't get it? We have an auto group where um, the the um, the closest trunk line, so there's no available feed on, on the road, and this is a major auto dealership um, on a large parcel of land, um, there's no re- remaining power on that trunk line. The closest available trunk line is one, 1.2 miles away. They were quoted $2.4 million to bring that line over to the dealership. And it's going to be two years until they, they can get that. And so 
that creates a conundrum for the dealership because they can wait for someone else on that road to request it and maybe they can split that cost. But the reality is they may go to the OE and the OE may say, you need to be in compliance and you need to figure out a way to get these to get the power to your dealership. Otherwise, you're not compliant. We can't give you the vehicles. You know, high level, I don't know the answer. I think related to like the entire grid being able to support electrification, as long as people start to charge at night and charge at those off-peak times that I think eventually utilities will incentivize that to occur across the board. It certainly happens in, in utilities right now. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think the grid is going to be able to support things, but in terms of individual projects, man, what a challenge this is. I worked, I worked with a project up in New York where uh, the utility was going to take several years to bring in that power, and that customer was going to have to participate in upgrading the, you know, the power within that region, which is just so difficult. If that's the only customer for that utility in that area, someone's got to pay the bill. And, you know, we, we both work in automotive a lot. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on auto miles, where you have, you know, 15 dealerships that are all required to put in a megawatt worth of power by 2030. What's that going to look like? And how does that materialize in 2027, 2028? I think that the reality is it's first come, first serve. The, the, those, the, the forward thinkers that have the vision now and can forecast out what they're going to need. Um, working with the, the 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 parent OE, I think are the ones that are going to get that service, and the others are going to have to wait for a new trunk line to be brought over. Yeah, and bear the brunt bear the brunt of that. I mean, it you know the the OEs that put in some major superchargers because they had they produced vehicles that can take a three fifty kW charge right now. Yep, um, blooded and, and grabbed a a major chunk of some of these automobiles. For sure. And it's not like it's rationed out. The way it works is you put your application in, you do your, your business case and, and you present it. And if it's approved, then you're you're logged in for that 800 kW or, or for that 1200 kW, you know, or 2000 amp service drop. Um, it, it's yours. I always kind of just joke around about like where we are in electrification right now, because it is truly the wild, wild west. And people are going to look back in 10 years and say, well, why didn't we do this at this time? But there's there's a documentary that'll be coming out about electrification at some point in time. And I think one of like the main topics of it's going to be the grid and uh, getting power to some of these more congested locations that need it the most and how that was done. And you know, everybody's doing their best, but it's tough. It, it is a wild, wild west for everybody right now. Absolutely right. Uh, so, so my next question for you is this. Some of the conversations that I have the... Uh, funnest time hearing about from you, and I know you can't talk about all of them, is some of the different projects that you did. You know, some of your, the projects you, you've spoken to me about are so complex. I wanted to see if like, you know, there's a project that's like near and dear to you or you've done that you're proud of uh, that's out there. People can see that uh, wasn't easy. And 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 then the, the, the follow-up to that is going to be, what are the biggest challenges like if you had to say three things that are the your you know your biggest challenges as an installer for customers that they should be looking out for what are they i guess the project would probably be um what we've done for the mta in new york with the pantographs because those those are probably the first ones that we've been told those are the first ones that are being installed in, in north america and so the pantograph is the buses are parked four wide and there's a rack system that's above the buses the buses don't move. The 
pantograph is what moves and charges one and then it lifts and it moves over and it charges the other one and this is without anyone touching anything it's it's all done electronically and oh, really four buses are charged they move out four more buses come in wow um i think that that type of a system we'll start to see five ten years from now in a lot of fleet applications and that's one that we're very proud of um, it's behind the fence, so it's not like it can be seen, but it's a, it's a public project, so I, I can speak to it. Whereas, just like you said, we're under an NDA with all of our clients, and, and a lot of the projects that we do are proprietary and, and, and ones that we can't share. So that, but that's one that I'm, we're very proud of. As far as the, you know, the three biggest challenges, it, it's definitely that, you know, looking at the, the, the current infrastructure um, when we go out there, and then, and then convincing the site host that we got to look, take this holistic approach to this because we don't want to be coming back here two years from now and looking at the infrastructure again. We got to make sure that we have the vision, whether that's, you know, an auto dealership that has the projections carried out on what the mix will be for the next five to 10 years, or that's a fleet location that knows that they're converting X number of their trucks, vans, whatever it is from combustion engine to electric, whether that's plug-in electric or fully electric, what is that projection so that we then can look at what's the downtime and we start to back in and do the equation. Then some tough decisions need to be made. I've worked with facilities that run one shift and we looked at it and said, we need 4,000 chargers if we run run shift, but if we run three shifts, we can get this down to 400 chargers. And so it's it, it's really doing more staffing, more security, you know, all sorts of more supervision, more overhead. There's, there's a whole cost benefit analysis that has to be done. It isn't as simple as, hey, we got putting some chargers out here and let's make sure that we've got the right number of chargers. So it's future-proofing um, and knowing what the projections look like and then ensuring that Everything is process-driven so that we're not making short-term decisions that are the most cost-effective solutions. These may not be the most cost-effective solutions because we're building a, a fueling island. And just like you see a fueling island at, at a gas station now, so you're building a an EV charging station fueling island. But the process is the vehicle moves up, charges, and moves forward just like you'd see at a gas station. And so it's it's getting people to embrace that change um, because in a lot of instances, we're given plan sets or, or renderings where the chargers are put up against the wall or on pedestals or bollard mounted chargers that are right up against the building. If there's no process flow to that. It's so funny because you know, when you think about, we're in electrification industry, so we think about this all day. So when we go talk to somebody about what their plan should be, feedback I've always gotten is like, the the whole thing's intimidating. It's, if you buy chargers before you buy your cars, if your chargers don't match the voltage that the vehicles need, they might char not charge at the same speed or vice versa, you know, whether an AC inverter is needed and what that AC inverter can take versus, you know, if you're just charging in DC. And You've always done such a good job focusing on the infrastructure for customers. I've always noticed that when I've been in conversations with you, you make people feel really confident in what you're doing. Uh, and and then I think like, you know, where I've always picked it up is on the utility business side. 
and making sure that once that right infrastructure decision was made, that as a customer is paying for their circumstance and like literally on their electric bill that, you know, they're not paying an arm and a leg more because, you know, it, as we both know, sometimes the utility will put you on a rate that's really difficult. And and so, you know, the the answer is it is it's it's business focused with the utilities, it's infrastructure focused, but it's a lot. And I can see how, you know, it, it can be intimidating. And, and it's kind of funny because I think gas cars are, the, it's so simple, you know, it's just like, go fill up your car and everybody knows how to do it. But for in the electric world, it can be more convenient. It can cost you a lot less money or it can be a lot more inconvenient and cost you a lot more money, you know, and it's these little nuanced things that make such a big difference. And I think that's what you guys do such a good job of is helping customers navigate that water. It's definitely a challenge. <laughs> it's definitely a challenge. And it's it's a moving target. It absolutely is. So so this is my next question for you. You you've worked with every uh charging solution under the sun. So this question isn't about the charging solution, but it's really about like the factors of the charging solutions that you appreciate the most and think are some of the best solutions. Like what are what are um, charging solution components out there, such as, I'll just give you an example, like modularity. What are some of the things that you deem most important in picking the right solution for a customer? Well, it, it starts with going back to finding out exactly what the vehicle acceptance rate is for AC and DC charging for those vehicles that this particular client is going to be processing through there. So it doesn't make any sense you know, to, to put in 180 kW chargers if the vehicle acceptance rate for that fleet vehicle is is a year from now is going to be 350 kW. Um, making sure that there are chargers out there that have the infrastructure where you can add power modules to them and build up. So if today it's 180 kW, but in two years you're going to be at 350 kW, you can grow as the vehicle grows, right? And so you don't need to invest all of that money now, but you make sure that all of the future proofing is done. The, the conduit is properly sized, the wire is properly sized, and, and everything is set so that when the vehicles are ready to accept a faster rate of speed, we've got the infrastructure there and it's nothing more than installing power modules. So I think that it really comes down to you've got to do a deep dive with the client to make sure that they know and share with you exactly what the future is going to look like from the need standpoint. And then we can build an engineer a solution that carries them to cover that. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, um, you know, you have an electric car, right? You have a Model Y, I believe. Yes, my wife has an S. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, tell me a little bit about. And this is more of a this is more of a personal question than you know from a business perspective. But we both enjoy driving our Teslas. We love the technology inside them. Uh, you know, what are the things that like you you're looking for in electric cars that you see features that are coming out in, in any electric cars with anyone that you're working with where you say, "Hi, I find that I find that really interesting and unique." Definitely solid state battery te technology. Um, I think that that's going to be a game changer. Um, it'll extend the the range of the vehicles. It'll extend the life of the batteries. Um, it, it'll it'll make the, um, the the whole driver experience that much better um, because it, it'll it, in a lot of instances it'll eliminate the range anxiety. As as much as I 
I, you know, I love my vehicle. I love it that much more if I could get 500 miles or if I could get 600 miles between, between charging. Right. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors that play into that when I go on a road trip. And so I think that hands down, the driving experience is, is, is what I'm looking for in the future. And, and that driving experience will be enhanced with solid state batteries, extending the range of the drive, the, the, the ride itself. What I'm really curious to see is if solid state batteries does anything to the resale value of the cars we have right now. <laughs> I've really, I've, I've like thought about selling my cars just to, you know, just to make sure. A very that, fair that, point. That, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Thanks. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. No, it was a great, a great chat. And, 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 and the best part of this is, is you schedule this for a Friday afternoon. Um, so as the recently departed, um, Jimmy Buffett would say it's five o'clock somewhere. So <laughs> that's correct. That, that's why we do it at this time so that we can either have a beer right here off the, off the screen or right afterwards. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. And, uh, we'll, we'll connect soon. Okay. Thanks again, Chris. Mm-hmm.